There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I mean, Andre Agassi had this goal, you don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you've got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Hi guys, welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles. This is the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. And I have got to say this is unprecedented times, but I'm so glad I get to share this moment with my co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hi, Valerie. Hey there, how's it going? Uh, no more tennis for me. <laughs> tennis isn't is canceled. It sad? Isn't it sad that they're telling us tennis isn't essential? <laughs> <laughs> it is for me. Right? It's very essential. Uh, and not only is it my livelihood, it's my passion, which is why we do the Tennis Pal Chronicles. But, yes. um, you know, this is obviously in the scope of of life and death. This is a, a, a very small and minor thing, even though it's our passion and we love it. And I don't want to make light of the fact that this is such a serious situation. At the same time, the podcast is about tennis. And so I thought, what is a tennis person to do in the midst of a a, a lockdown? What what can we do to keep ourselves going, uh, happy, enjoying our passion? I think uh, I saw your ideas and they look great. I'm going to do some of them for sure. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, so I think uh, we all want to encourage you guys to be super safe, to practice safe practices, to not go out and play tennis. It's just crazy that you could be infected and you don't even know it. What's a, what's a boy to do that loves tennis? <laughs> <laughs> how, do I, how do I keep myself going, right? And so we thought of some ideas to share with you about what to do in a shutdown. How do you keep yourself going? How do you express your passion for tennis? And so what are some of the things that you can do indoors at home if you're a tennis player? Well, I think it's not unlike uh, some of the practices that you would use on a rainy day. So I had actually written a blog post about a year ago, rainy day tennis drills that you can do at home. And I think a lot of them are, are very similar. So shadow swings, I think, is maybe the first start. As long as you have enough room in your house and and you're not home with the kids and <laughs> might hit somebody. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be awesome. Right? Uh, you know, it's great to get in front of a mirror and just practice your form. 
uh, practice, you know, kind of starting low, swinging high, practice looking at the height of your body as you rotate. Are Is your core rotating or are you just swinging your arm? I think it really gives you a lot of information when you're able to look at yourself and practice shadow swing. So have you ever had a chance to do that? I have not. I, think- I have also never had any formal or informal training. Yeah. <laughs> I am I am I am just a backyard baller. I bought a racket one day and just went out and I just do everything as as naturally as it feels, I guess. So, yeah. um if I ever started to pay attention, I could only imagine the leaps and bounds of improvement I would see. <laughs> and I think actually shadow swings is a pretty good aerobic uh, practice. So in uh, in a lot of ways, it's like swinging a little bit of a weight in your hand and you do get a little bit of uh, aerobic motion from it. So it's it's not without a little sweat. So you can really work on both sides, uh, forehand and backhand. And just really think about the angle of the racket, the grip that you're using as you're swinging the racket. I think there's a lot of benefit to having shadow swings. I I would agree. And I would say also that it it still activates a lot of the same core muscles that you'd be using in actually playing and hitting a ball as well as it. Like if I don't play for a long time, your hands, like maybe calluses that you have or like I'll get blisters on my thumb if I haven't played in a long time. Um, so if by shadow swinging, it just keeps my body kind of in that rhythm of being used to having a racket in the, in my hand. Yeah, that's a super great point. You were talking about grip, so that's one of the things that we can jump into as well. If you're at the pro level of tennis, you're actually changing your grip pretty pretty constantly as you're deciding to hit each ball. As a beginner, you're just kind of taught, here's the one grip that you should use. And then you try to use it for everything and you realize, well, actually the grip that I use at the back of the court that might be a little bit closed and semi-Western doesn't work so well when I'm trying to volley because I just hit the ball into the net because my racket is closed, right? So you learn that, oh, the best way to a volley is with a continental grip and so kind of keep your racket a little bit more open or the best grip for a lob is continental so you change your swing and so uh, one of the things that I encourage people to do is just practice moving the racket back and forth from hand to hand right hand left hand right hand left hand or just holding the throat of the racket with your left hand and practicing changing your grip and keeping a very loose grip on the racket so that you can easily change over from semi-western to continental and if you're an extreme western you can practice that as well and i think it's just a great practice to make sure that you're holding the throat of the racket with your left hand just like you'll see roger rafa or any of the pros do and finding your grip before you swing yes that's a great thing to practice it's something that I know I need practice with. Um, I am not at a skill level where I am switching my grip depending on the depth of my position in the court, but I'm certainly switching between forehand and backhand. And, um, and, and I do notice sometimes when I've switched to go to my backhand, I, I may not have the best switch and then I end up shanking the, my shot. Um, so it's, it's for sure something that I could use work on. 
Yeah, and you hit it right on the head. I mean, the the goal of having the right grip is to have the best possible contact with the ball. And so when you see a beginner that has a single-handed backhand like yourself, you'll see those beginners, they never actually change their grip. So they have a forehand grip that they hit with a forehand. And on the backhand, they just rotate their hand, but they don't change their grip. And so it becomes a, a hard slice, basically. And so when you see a beginner starting to play and they want to hit with a one-hander, almost always they're hitting with a slice because they that's all they can do. In order to hit flat, you have to completely rotate the racket in your hand to have the right grip and hit flat. So yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's it's something that you have to really practice to find the right space to to flip it over when you have a one-handed and rotate. Yes. So another really important area of tennis that we can work on from the comfort of our home is stretching. Stretching is probably the most important activity we can do outside of actually playing the game. Ask uh, Gumby, the best tennis, <laughs> the best tennis player to walk our earth right now. <laughs> he would he would agree, and many of his fans would agree. His flexibility is probably a really really big reason for his success. Absolutely, and it's crazy how flexible world number one Novak Djokovic is. He is incredibly flexible. I saw this one video where he was practicing his serve and the flexibility he has on his arm in order to bring the racket behind. And you know how they say, like, touch your back or something like that. I mean, his arm was going all the way down, so his racket was close to the low end of his back. I mean, for me, it's kind of on the high end of my back, you know? (laughs) I don't have that kind of shoulder flexibility. But of course, the lower I can drop the racket behind me on a serve, the more velocity I can generate as I come forward around to hit the ball. And so flexibility adds a ton of speed to every area of your game, whether it's flexibility in your legs in order to move side to side and shuffling, whether it's flexibility in your core so that you can rotate better as you're hitting that shot. And of course, flexibility in your arms um, so that you can swing more freely. It also just kind of creates a looseness to your muscles that allows you to generate more speed, which in turn becomes power. Yes. I know you as a massage therapist um, probably understand the concept of looseness better than most people. The idea of really trying to uh, let go of the tension in your body. And I feel like stretching does that. Yes. Stretching is an amazing thing you can do for your body, for the muscles, to keep your muscles healthy. You know, you want to, you want to be able to stretch and that flexibility, like you were talking about, comes from regular stretching and all of that. But that's like a being able to keep your muscles relaxed is is why someone like Roger Federer has so little injuries. Because when you ah. when your body's relaxed, it just does everything so much more efficiently, which is kind of goes in line with my massage philosophy which this is not a massage podcast, but it's relatable in the sense that like what I'm always telling clients is it's not like no pain, no gain. That's, that's an old outdated and incorrect idea when you're getting a massage or when you're doing anything in your life, like the more relaxed that your body and your muscles are, the less apt to injury you will be. 
Um, if you're doing something that is straining or hurt or making your autonomic system like tense up and fight off, you're, you're not going to be having the same quality of results or life, you know, uh, like your tennis results are going to suffer. Someone like people like Roger and uh, Novak, you could just, you could tell that the, the ease of their relaxed muscles and the way that they are so flexible is so much of a reason why they, they have different types of injuries, but very little injuries. You know, maybe it's like it's wrist elbow stuff from contact or, um, back problems, which could also even just be scar tissue that like it happened once before Roger was, really the Roger that we know, you know, and then of course it becomes easier to reactivate. But then you look at someone maybe like, like an adult who just, who just suffers more injuries. I think that he is a well-oiled, fantastic specimen of a human body machine. However, like you don't look at him and see relaxation or flexibility generally. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure that he works really hard in flexing and stretching and creating uh, that looseness because he wouldn't have the kind of power uh, without it uh, because it takes that lack of tension. But definitely certain body types, I think it makes it harder for them to be flexible or to stretch. And at the same time, I think of Serena Williams and how many times I've seen her actually do the splits, like in trying to hit a shot. Yeah. You know, it's kind of crazy how good she is. Or I think of uh, Kim Dimitrov. Oh, I thought you were going to say Kim Kleisters. <laughs> Kim Kleisters, same. Yeah, Dimitrov, you know, literally hitting a shot in the split, you know, motion. Um, so I, I just, I do feel like every tennis player understands the power of flexibility. I would say that most of us at the recreational level probably don't, and we probably don't stretch enough. Um, I often tell people that stretching actually is pain relief for yes. me. I try to encourage people at, uh, at warm up to just get your blood pumping, you know, run around, get your, your body warm and loose. Uh, but I, I usually tell people not to do any hard stretching when your body's cold because it's harder for your body to really flex unless you have good circulation and good warmth in your body. But after the match, you're sweating, you're hot, you're really like tired, uh, but your body is super warm. That's the best time to work out those knots and all that tension and all that stress that has been put on your body. And that's when you really need to stretch hard to really release all of that tension that was built up. And also it really, for me, I feel like it reduces pain because to me, the pain is the inflammation and the, the tightness of my muscles. And when I stretch pretty hard for a long time, uh, I'll do, you know, a, a minimum of a two minute count on like my hamstrings or my core, kind of a deep stretch and I'll just hold it and just count uh, to 60 on each side of my legs or something. Then after that, I'm still just as tired, but I feel a lot less pain from, you know, the, the tightness that I felt before. Yeah. 
So yeah, I do feel like stretching is something that we really need to work on. And I just want to encourage you to stretch uh, warm. So to do a good three to five minute warm up before you do any hard stretching, don't just jump right into it. I think that will help you a lot. Yeah, definitely increasing your flexibility on all aspects of your body, whether it's your wrist, your forearm, your shoulder, all of that is going to prevent injury and prevent pain in the future. It's good advice, people. Listen, listen to this man. He's a professional. Oh, and speaking of pain, Valerie, I mean, one of the things that you can do at home that unfortunately can cause a lot of pain is watching videos of yourself play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have recorded myself uh, with my GoPro probably for several years uh, playing. And so I have this huge catalog of, of uh, movies that I could watch of myself. And honestly, it's something I really want to avoid. I don't enjoy watching myself because it doesn't match the Roger Federer images that I have in my head that I think I'm doing when I'm playing tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I think I look one way in my head and then I see myself and I realize I'm not even, it's so awkward and so horrible to see. I have literally never heard one coach on the face of the earth that didn't recommend watching yourself and your strokes. It's, it's probably like one of the single most important things you could do as a tennis player to actually, like you said, to see what's really happening. You could like, for me, I'll, I'll hit, hit it. I'm like, why does it keep floating long? Why does it keep floating long? And it's like, if you, if I see my actual swing, I could, I could see like what it is that I keep doing wrong over and over. Uh, right. Yeah. Because you and I have watched so many hours of professional tennis. It's burned in our brains. We know what it should look like, right? I mean, even if, even if you're, even if you're watching the differences between Gasquet and Federer or, you know, Benoit Paire, I mean, they have completely different styles, but there is a sense of professionalism in the, the stroke manufacturer that really we understand from watching. And then when you watch yourself, you realize, oh my gosh, that is not what I do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> or at least for me. I'm hitting my one-handed backhand, I'm, I think that I look like Federer. <laughs> I, exactly. That's what like, I mean. Like you're yeah, feeling like uh, Warwinka or something. I think I probably feel more know? like Henan, but. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, uh, a perfect example is uh, I was practicing what I'm preaching because just before this podcast recording, I was actually watching videos because it's raining here in Los Angeles right now. And, you know, there's a whole, whole COVID lockdown. But I was watching videos of myself and I realized how late my backhand was often in hitting shots. And it was really frustrating to me. Like, I feel like my forehand, I... I have good timing and I'm hitting it in front and it has it looks more elegant. My backhand feels late when I'm watching it. And you know, I can tell in the rally that I am actually winning the point or I'm hitting a good shot. So that's what's deceptive is you might feel like, hey, it's working. It's putting the ball where I want to. And maybe for some people that's good enough. But for me, I feel like, oh, it looks terrible. It looks so unelegant the way that it feels. And I just feel like, my goodness, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is relevant to what you're saying, but what you're making me think of is when I watch the pros, how early they bring their racket back, like their backswing starts 
like as they're running towards the ball. And then I, when I'm playing, I end up being late on hitting the ball because I, my backswing doesn't start till I like, I like arrive to the ball. Then I backswing and hit it. But like, I still, I make it in and it goes where I wanted it to. So it's like a thing where I'm like, well, I guess, you know, I guess it's fine, but, but it's not really proper. Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of us have learned just from doing uh, something that works. So we feel like, oh, you know, I, I get the ball back. It's, it's working. It's just not kind of taking it to the next level, but it's working. And so we get into these funks and habits of just, you know, doing that same thing because it kind of works. So, I mean, this is a perfect time to actually leave yourself open to self-criticism <laughs> as we're sitting at home and we can't go out and play and watch yourself and just really kind of analyze yourself, have an out-of-body experience and take some notes and just notice what is it that you can work on that will improve your game or what, what are the goals that you want to achieve? And actually, that's the next point in what I feel like is super helpful for people that they can do at home is to just actually develop an action item list of some of the things you want to accomplish this year in tennis. I actually made myself about a week and a half ago my own personal, like what I'd like to accomplish uh, changes Love in my it. life and what was on my list was to make a list of the things that I wanted to accomplish in my tennis life and like what things that I would like, what action I want to take and what things I'd like to see improve. So, and I did it kind of like, what would I like my game to look like and the things that I'd like to improve about my game it, you know, over the next year, like, so 2021 starts and I could be like, wow, my second serve is amazing. Or my, uh, honestly, what's on my, my list is, um, stamina because I, I run out of gas quickly and then I just start slicing everything cause I'm too lazy to run to it. And I start lunging things like that. So, but I, I did the same thing. Like I, I had that thought, like it's, it's really helpful just in life in general, any probably life coach or <laughs> professional in so, some sort of manner like this would say, you know, that you write out your goals anytime you want yeah. to accomplish things. Yeah. I'm not sure that my goal of winning Wimbledon is ever going to come to pass. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh I do have uh, I do have some very practical things I want to work on and and definitely after watching that video taking uh my backhand a little earlier in my stroke production is is definitely high on my list. And I've got to say that probably footwork, if you're watching yourself play, you're probably noticing that your footwork doesn't really look like <laughs> the pros. Um, <laughs> and that takes years and years of practice. And I, I've got to say that on YouTube, there is so much to watch. And we'll get into that when we talk about things that you can do virtually. But uh, I don't find that there's a ton of really great footwork videos on YouTube. There is a lot, and, and I've seen as many of them as I can. But I feel like footwork is something you really need to get with the coach and have them show you the stroke, do that motion, and then you've got to just practice it over and over. You've just got to do repetitions on doing that pattern, having someone feed and put the ball there, 
and then just doing it a hundred times. I mean, I don't know how else you can do that. So for me, definitely action items, uh, taking my backhand earlier, uh, having better footwork, uh, more flexibility. Did you want to share any of your tennis? No, I mean, I I think I don't have a list and I don't, don't remember it per se. Also because I don't play like you do. You're five times a week. I'm five times, I'm five times a year. (laughs) So the number one thing on my list was actually just to get out and start playing weekly. Um, That's so good. That is so good. Well, I made the list and then this all happened and now I can't go outside, but (laughs) which is half true. I actually, I have a ball machine. So I think that according to the law, I could still take my ball machine out and go play, but I don't even know. Uh, Either way, I did want to, you know, just play more consistently and then I did my my goals were kind of movement oriented. I wanted to work on fitness and footwork in in the sense that so that I'm not running out of gas so quickly. And then also um, just like more reliable stroke production. Um, nice consistency. Consistency would be great um, because all you know what is weird is like when I play. When we're rallying, it's it's like fine. It's almost like we've had talked had this conversation a thousand times. I'm rallying, yeah. it's fine. I can make it go over there, I can make it go over there, I can do whatever, I'm slicing dice. And then the second we're playing a match, all of a sudden I don't know how to hit a damn ball in. So yeah. I everything is like really careful and I can't I have absolutely no aggressive shots that work. So uh, <laughs> That would be be a thing that like a consistent, like more confidence in my consistency, I think would help. So that, that was yeah. on my list. I love that because I think most tennis players struggle with that. I mean, that's got to be the number one complaint is I can rally, you know, like the best of them, but in a match, my stroke production falls apart. So how do I change? And you come to realize that really a lot of that is so mental. And I don't mean mental in weakness or strength because a lot of people take it in that way, like a negative or a positive, but it really is that as you're in the game, you're now not only just loose and thinking about here comes the ball, hit ball, see ball, hit ball. (laughs) That's what you're doing when you're doing rally, you know, and your brain is free to think about just hitting the ball. But when you're in the match, gosh, so many other things happen in your brain. It's kind of amazing. You're thinking about the score. You're thinking about the opponent. You're thinking about the last shot you just missed. You're thinking about the pressure. You're feeling like, what does this person think of me? You know, all of these other things that actually take up brain cells and fill your mind that you really have less processing power to just see ball hit ball you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think kinda, mine is always crazy. like uh if i have too much time to think before i hit the ball i'm going yeah oh i'm gonna hit i'm gonna hit like a i'm gonna smash the crap out of this in the in the corner <laughs> inside out and they're never gonna get to it and then i'm like no 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 you don't have that skill just play it safe play it safe and then it comes to, right when it comes time for contact like i go for the thing but i <laughs> I miss it because I haven't. I'm, I don't have like a clear decision making, you know. 
Right, right. And plus, you're, as I said, your brain is literally having this whole other conversation while it's trying to mathematically calculate the bounce and speed of the ball and the, and the swing of your racket. It, you know, it's kind of amazing just the physical prowess to be able to just see a ball moving in motion at a pretty fast clip and swing another another object and to swing that object and hit the other object in space and time is really kind of a miracle. Yeah. And all you're doing is making me, for some reason, think about how fun it is to watch the pros at Indian Wells, like up close doing their amazingness and how we're not going to see that. (laughs) Yes, that is it. I mean, our passion for tennis extends to just watching these amazing specimens uh, time the ball in space and time. They can hit the ball so well. They can hit it in the sweet spot in the center. You know, it's just insane how good they are. Yes. So, yeah, I love that idea of action list items and really putting to practice some of the idea that we have. We have a lot of time right now, so this is a great time to just Take a a, a self-evaluation about your game and your tennis. It might even be like, who is it that is your arch nemesis, you know, that you really want to beat in tennis? What is it that you need to improve? What do they do to you? What can you do to them? And you might, that might be on your action item list too. Maybe it's a play with uh, five new people this year. Uh, a lot of us get into a rut of just playing the same people all the time. And so kind of our game stays stagnant. But when you end up playing with new people that have a different way of playing, you see very different balls coming at you. And it takes a lot of uh, adjustment in your game. So do you have the ability to adjust your game to play with new people? Uh, yeah, that happens to me sometimes, you know, I get, I, I play with the same person and then I'll, and then I'll go hit with a new person and they hit really flat. And all of a sudden I'm like, damn, I can't get a ball back. Like I haven't hit with somebody who hits this flat in years or months or whatever. And then, or, you know, you think you're really good because you learn the patterns of somebody that you're playing with. You're like, ah, no, he can't hit his backhand over here. Um, you get all confident then you play with someone else and all, and you have to like learn all yeah. the new patterns, you know, and you're like, Oh dang, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so good for your game to, to mix it up, which is why I think like people probably hate playing with me, but it's probably I'm good for their games. Cause I'm such a, <laughs> a unique junk player. Baller. Yeah. And I, I think I hit with variety. I hit, um, like I can hit, hard or soft and i tend to use top spin on my forehand but then i also slice my backhand a lot but i could also hit it flat and because of all my slicing and dicing and i'm a squash shotter on the forehand too so like people will get a whole lot of different looking balls from someone like me yeah yeah um so it's frustrating for them right (laughs) Because they're like, what the hell? Like, why can't I play this girl? Uh, but then also, like, I'm, I'm helping them. I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm helping you work your game now. <laughs> well, and that is, to me, I love that challenge. I love playing any person 
at all who wants to play tennis. It doesn't matter what their level is. I love playing with beginners, honestly. I love playing with intermediate players. Of course, I love playing with advanced players that can beat me and can really push me. So I love that because like you said, you see a different ball and you and you want to know, can your game hold up? Can you adapt? Can you kind of rise to this moment? Uh, do you have the weapons? And if you don't, it there's nothing like that to show a hole in your armor that allows you to see, I need to work on this skill. Correct. And speaking of tennis balls, one of the other activities that you can do just for fun to practice your hand-eye coordination is just uh, playing catch with yourself, just throwing the ball up in the air and playing catch. And just that very simple action really continues to help you focus on watching the ball, putting the ball in your hand. You could do it with your right hand. You could do it with your left hand. You could go back and forth from hand to hand. Uh, It's a great way to just use whatever space you have and practice your hand-eye coordination. Yes. We could, the pros do it. You, you see them. It's like one of the drills they do. Like when, when you hear it, I could see how somebody's like, oh, that's so lame. Like I want to hit or I want to do this. But like you actually see the pros doing that with their coaches, like moving, shuffling their feet side to side and like throwing and catching a ball. Exactly. And then, and they'll use one hand or they even do it where they're, um, it's almost like a stroke and they catch like right. as they as they're stroking their hand or whatever um so yeah i mean it's it's obviously there's validity to that as an exercise uh one of the things that i like to do uh when i'm playing catch is i actually try to read the print on the ball so whether it's a pen two or a pen three if i have a basket next to me i'll pick a ball out of the basket without looking at the ball i'll throw it up uh, I, I usually use my roof. I throw it on my roof, which has a little slight incline. The ball comes down, it bounces on the ground. It bounces pretty high because it's coming from a high level. And while it's up in the air, I'm just f- hyper-focusing on the ball, trying to read the number or the letters on the ball. And I notice that when I hyper-focus on the ball when I'm playing tennis, it actually slows the ball down for me and enables me to make better contact as I'm hitting the ball. So it's a skill. It's something that you practice. You've got to keep doing it in order to get better. But I've noticed that that drill has helped me to see the ball better when I'm on the court. Nice. Roger Federer-like. You're keeping your eye on the ball. (laughs) Well, that's another thing that I have to work on that's on my action item because when I was watching myself on the video, I was not looking at the ball. (laughs) I would just swing and somehow I would connect with it, but I was literally looking forward instead of looking at the ball and that was frustrating for me. So rule number one. (laughs) I know, something I have to really work on. I noticed actually on my backhand that I was watching the ball so much better than on my forehand. It was I'm I'm not sure if it's my position or something, but or maybe that I feel more confident in my forehand or something. So I'm looking ahead. I don't know. Something I've got to work on, though. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Love it. So those are super great conversation about action items. Uh, really encourage you guys to make an action item for yourself, especially in this downtime. 
you you talked about fitness and being one of your action items, and I've got to say that fitness is so important in tennis now more so than ever. I think it's not only flexibility so that you can have speed, and not only flexibility so that you can relieve pain, but also kind of training and cross training、uh, to build up the rest of your body. So one of the things that I think is really important is planking. Uh, I need to do planking every day because I'm trying to build up my back, and I feel like planking really helps your back muscles. So many people get hurt playing tennis and hurting their back, especially as you get older, because serve is such an unusual, unique motion for your back. Obviously, Roger Federer,、uh, Pete Sampras, many people have really struggled with back injury. Uh, from the game of tennis, and so I really want to encourage people to do some cross training, riding a bike, planking for their back, sit ups, some light weights,、um, to really just build up your body、uh, so that it can handle the stresses of being on court. Yeah. So here's a couple of things that aren't physical. Since we have downtime, I think one of the things that is so important is just. Taking care of your racket, and I think a lot of us really need to take more care of the extension of our arm, which is our tennis racket. So one of the ways that you can take care of your racket is just restring your racket. So I don't know if you have access, if you are a stringer and you string your racket, or if you can take it to someone who can string. But it's definitely something we can add to the action item: just restringing their racket. And usually the Wisdom about restringing is at least every six months to change the strings in your racket. I know a lot of people go years without changing the strings because they just don't break. But、uh, it actually can be somewhat detrimental to your arm and、uh, and your game if you don't change your strings. Yeah, I wish that strings. I wish that I could tell strings made an impact on my game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm so not to that level. I mean, I know I need my my racket restrung. It's been probably five years, four or five years. But I also play five times a year. So, so for maybe for someone like Valerie, maybe if you play literally five times a year, I would say change your strings once a year. Uh, but、yeah. if you're kind of more of a weekly once once a week player or a weekend warrior,、uh, maybe every six months. And please just get rid of that whole idea of I'm just going to change my strings when they break. I, I know you're saving money that way, but it really affects your arm and your game. The two major kinds of strings that people use are poly and synthetic gut. Synthetic gut is a little bit softer on your arm, but it still does get brittle. Poly definitely gets very brittle and loses all, almost all of its flexibility, probably within the first ten days of playing, depending on how often you play. So, if you have poly strings in your racket, that's how I got tennis elbow when I first started playing. Was I had this、uh, racket that someone else gave me, so I don't even know how long the poly was in there, but it was probably pretty old. And I just played with it until I thought it was going to break, and it really ruined my arm. It just killed me. So, you know, bad stroke production when you're a beginner, 
and really harsh strings is what did me in. And so I would really encourage everyone to just restring your racket at least once a year, if not six months, depending on how often you play. Along with that, I want to encourage people to change their overgrip. So that's something that you can do in the comfort of your own home and just get some overgrips delivered by Amazon if you don't have any. My favorite is Yonex Supergrap. Do you have a favorite overgrip, Valerie? Well, I have to just interject because I'm a brat. You know, you don't have to use Amazon, the monopolizing giant that I despise. (laughs) I would suggest, you know, supporting someone like Midwest Sports or Tennis Warehouse. (laughs) Uh, Even Target has probably grips that are fine. I use Wilson grips. Um, I don't know which ones they are. They're white. And they have a Roger Federer picture on them. <laughs> I've, I don't think I've ever seen grips that have a picture of Roger Federer. How cool is that? Well, I mean, they have a picture of Roger Federer on the package. Oh, on the package. Oh. If they had it on the grip, that would be pretty cool, too. <laughs> I have seen, like, dampeners that have, like, the emoji Roger Federer face on them. And I thought those were really cool. I don't play with a dampener. Otherwise, I'd play with that one. Right. And you know what? Roger doesn't play with a dampener either. So we we know that that's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> but if it would be if it's too good for Roger, then it's too good for us. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be so fun to have little Roger's little face looking at me every time I'm ready to hit a point. Well, Christmas is writing itself, Philip. <laughs> but but I don't I don't use a dampener. That's my problem. Well, you could glue it to your cell phone case. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a little hole on it. You'd have it a key, as a, a keychain or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, especially in this time of uh, viral awareness, uh, changing your overgrip is probably pretty crucial these days. So uh, it's not only for the ability to hold onto your racket and uh, give yourself the ability so that it doesn't slip. But right now, I think, you know, I I let my grips get kind of dirty and I need to change them more frequently. And I'm especially going to be aware of that now that we're talking about virus. So I do actually use hand sanitizer and, uh, and wipe my hands fairly often while I'm playing tennis. And hopefully that gets on my hands and then that gets on my grip. So that helps a little bit but I am going to be more aware of changing my grips now. You know what I think is what I like, the idea that I like about changing my grip right now when it's downtime is it's so much nicer to do your grip when you have time instead of waiting until it rips and you're in the middle of the match or like you're about to go play. And for me, someone like me is like, oh, I haven't played in like two months. So I head to the court and then I realize, oh, my grip sucks. And so I pull out a new grip. And when you do it in a haste, unless you're professional at it, you know, you've been doing it for so long, like seasoned, it can, you could have bumps in it or like you run out before you get to the top. Uh, You have to do it again. Yeah. You end up redoing it over and over. So like one thing that I I like about the idea of doing it at home right now, when there's really like not much of a chance that I'm going to be playing anytime soon, is just the fact that I'll be able to, first of all, I could practice kind of how to do it over and over before I make it a final and tape it. But also not only can I just practice, but I could take my time and make it really nice um, without all the bumpy and, and like make it fit. 
That's, there's nothing better than when you got a nice new grip and it looks beautiful. It almost feels like you have a new racket sometimes. I, I completely agree. I mean, that freshness on the grip and the way that it feels in your hand and kind of the sponginess of the grip that I use, I it just makes me super happy. I mean, I would say... New racket is like all time high. New cannonballs, you know, right up there, and new grip. <laughs> so those those are those would be the things that put a smile on my face. Nice. <laughs> so along with the idea of taking care of your racket, I don't know if you have a tennis bag like me, but I have so much junk in my tennis bag. I I literally <laughs> am like a guy carrying a purse that just throws everything in this huge 12 racket bag and it just becomes filthy. It's just awful. It's so bad. So one of the things that you could do in your downtime is just clean out your tennis bag. I mean, and I, I mean, clean it, like empty it, dump everything out, go through it all. What do you need? What's old? You know, how old is that cliff bar in there? You know, <laughs> how old is that sunscreen oh, that you've been holding on to? How many years old is that? Look at the expiration date, you know. And then I would encourage you also during this time, hey, why not wash it? You know, actually give it a good cleaning, disinfect it. I think it's just going to feel so good to only put back what you need, to organize it, uh, to put it in such a way that the next time you show up to a game, you're feeling like a pro, you know? Yeah. Uh, I know I have, I don't even know the last time I looked inside mine, I have like sunscreen that's probably 15 years old and exactly all these i i carry band-aids because like i told you i get blisters if i haven't played for a while so yeah, then i end up smart. eating like or like just tape or like you know the little energy gob stuff empty packets or yeah yep. so much used um tape like the the tape i used to wrap my wrists or my ankles if they're messed up yeah um Aluminum uh, tennis ball can lids. I have those in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you think I keep them uh, instead yes. of throwing them away. You actually can recycle those, which is amazing. You can actually te- take them to a metal place, but you know, very few of us actually care enough to do that. I think just the thing that needs the cleaning the most is that my bag is full of ball fuzz, you know, and there is just so much ball fuzz that's in there. Even when I carry it in a can, sometimes it gets loose. Sometimes I just throw a, a ball in there to carry home with me. And, uh, you know, like I was saying before, there's a lot of germs and bacteria on those balls. And it really just your bag becomes filthy, really. Uh, it it does. I don't know why I just remembered like three nights ago or f- I don't know, four nights ago, I was scared skimming through the TV guide looking for something to watch. And I saw this movie called Match Point. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Was, oh, you've seen it. I was like, Match Point? Like, what's that? I went, I came in like halfway through the movie. So, but it's like a ex-pro tennis player who's like now a coach or something. Yeah, that's and, uh, Woody Allen directed that. Oh, okay. And I didn't know that. That's cool. Uh, he, But the guy's like carrying his tennis bag everywhere he goes. I don't know why I just... When you said your your tennis bag was like your man purse, it just made me think of that guy because he had so much crap in his tennis bag. And I don't want to ruin the movie, but he put some really interesting things in his tennis bag. But yeah, it was our tennis bags can carry a lot of stuff. Yes, and we definitely need to clean them. Mine out. is mine is the coolest tennis bag I've ever seen in my life. 
I've never seen anyone else with one. Oh, what is I, it? I don't even know where you could find it. Uh, my sister got it at a thrift store for me for Christmas um, like eight or nine years ago. I love it. It's a backpack. It's like a regular backpack, but the bottom you unzip and it like flops an extra layer out so that you could put your rackets in it. Oh, very cool. Um, but if you don't have rackets in it, then you just push that extra layer up and it's just a regular backpack. But it's got all the contraptions you need. It's just it's just smaller. It's easier. And it, there's two straps because it's a backpack. Um it's super convenient. It's really great for me. It still can carry. It still can. I have three rackets in there, and I could hold about three cans of balls. And all my sunscreen and my keys and my cell phone and all that stuff still fit comfortably. The only thing is that like I couldn't put my shoes in there. Like they wouldn't fit. Ah, uh, um, yeah. You need a bigger bag for that, for sure. Yeah. So, but I generally, you know. I just put my tennis shoes on and go play tennis and take my backpack and it's, but I, I love the backpack and I've never seen anyone else with it. It's head too. So it, it is a tennis racket or tennis bag, but I just, I've never seen it. I've never seen the style. Yeah. Before. That's so cool. And what a, what a great reminder that I actually keep my dirty shoes in my bag. And that's even more reason for smells. me to clean stuff out. <laughs> you know, I know I need to douse it with, uh, with, uh, something scented to make it a little bit better, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was talking about tennis balls as well. And one of the activities that you can practice in this downtime is just going through your old balls and separating old tennis balls from you know, the truly awful ones that you should never be hitting with because they're actually bad for your arm to hit with versus those that maybe you could kind of keep. <laughs> yes. uh, of course, the ideal is to just play with new tennis balls all the time. But, you know, I also care about the environment. I care about my budget. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with hitting balls that are a little bit older as long as they still have bounce. But, you know, sometimes I go to the court and I see like, teenagers or little kids playing with a ball just by the sound of it i can tell that like on the third bounce it's rolling you know <laughs> it's not there's no bounce whatsoever uh and those balls should be given to dogs or used for you know walkers or something something else but not for tennis because it's really horrible for us to to use those kinds of balls you actually really damage your arm uh, hitting with those. So I really want to encourage people to just go Is through. Is that because you have to generate all like the power yourself or? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to swing so much harder to make the ball go anywhere versus if you swung that hard on a new ball, it would probably go out. You know? Fly over the fence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, you chasing it in the parking lot. Right, right. And and also you really are not training correctly because, you know, most of the time when you play a match, you're going to play with pretty decent balls, if not new. And so you're practicing this certain kind of swing and really that's not what's going to keep the ball in. So uh, better to practice with, you know, balls that are closer to what you're actually going to perform with. So one of the things you can do is you can separate them and, you know, keep the ones that are decent in your basket and the ones that you're going to get rid of, you can actually use a service like Rebounce. Uh, Rebounce is a recycling tennis ball uh, nonprofit that 
tries to reuse tennis balls in things like playgrounds, uh, tennis courts, equestrian centers, and many other things. Unfortunately, it's not a free service. You actually have to buy a box and pay for the shipping to get to them. But if you care about the environment, uh, this is a great option for you rather than just throwing it into the garbage and ending in a landfill. And unfortunately, the statistic is over 300 million tennis balls end up in landfill. And there's not a lot of uh, breakdown or organic matter that's happening with these tennis balls, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of freaking tennis balls, man. Um, that's only in the United States, oh, too. Not, not <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the, the Rebounce website is an amazing link that you're sharing. You already mentioned dogs. But um, I know one of the things you could do is like if you don't have dogs or your neighbor doesn't have dogs or you're like me and Philip and you have when you have extra balls, you have 40. So like you're not going to give 40 balls to your dog. There's the shelters are always willing to take them. And then like I know I take my dog to a dog beach every weekend and they have like a little bucket. And it's just like, take one, leave one or whatever. And so... Oh, that's so nice. That's yeah. Great. I mean, it's nice until until you think that probably some people are letting it go into the ocean and then probably some poor little wildlife is swallowing it or eating it and getting sick. But if you're responsible and you keep track of the ball, <laughs> then go, I condone you using a tennis ball at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's sad. We de- we definitely need to have an expert come on and talk about recycling tennis balls and have a whole podcast about that. But at least for now, go through your tennis balls that you have in your garage or in your car and just get rid of the older ones um, and keep the newer ones. It's it's a fun kind of zen activity. And I guess our last indoor tip that we can share is. Uh, Old copies of tennis magazines. Uh, do you um, did, do you have tons and tons of tennis magazines, Valerie? I probably have at least forty from there. I used to give them away to friends to read when I was Me when too. I was done. But like, Me too. I still have probably forty copies. Yeah. Uh, well, I find that there is a wealth of information inside these tennis magazines. Yeah, they have so many pictures and and stroke studies and. Great info. And even if, I mean, I'm sure we'll go more in depth on the stroke part, but like even just the fun part of like not of reading about the pros and like their stories and, and things like that. Or they might, one of my favorite things that they have is um, they have like a Q&A section on rules where people will write in and say like, I was playing in my, you know, with my friend and he hit he hit the ra- uh, the net with his racket, but he claims he didn't. And like, what's the rule? And so like, it'll break out the actual tennis rules. Um, so there's, there's just so much stuff to like read and learn about. Um, but as far as how to improve your game, I know there's a lot of stuff that's in there. I don't read it as much cause I don't play enough, but I'm sure you can elaborate. <laughs> Well, definitely uh, each issue usually has a focus specifically on, 
you know, how to hit a certain person's forehand, backhand. So like, for instance, this issue of tennis has Wozniacki's backhand. And she was famous for being super, super consistent. And, you know, it would be, uh, while, while we don't think of her as like someone who can hit winners all day long, it would be so incredible if I could have the strength and the consistency of Wozniacki's backhand. I would be super happy with that. And so there's so much that we can learn from any of these issues uh, from the past. Tennis tips on not only how to create better stroke production, but one of the things I love is actually just reading kind of about uh, past adult league players, winners, junior team tennis, just seeing who was in these pictures uh, from past leagues and kind of wondering where they are now. As well as I really, I'm so nerdy that I even enjoy the tennis advertisements. You know, I, I enjoy seeing what kind of products were being sold at this time. Are they still around? Um, just learning about the whole culture of tennis and, you know, uh, every culture needs to have its own propaganda. And so we're grateful to have Tennis Magazine to be that propaganda for us to learn all about our culture. Yeah. And for, uh, I'm sure there's, there's more than one Tennis Magazine. The Tennis Magazine that I get, I don't even know what it's called, but it's the free magazine you get when you're a USTA member. Um, yeah. It's just, it, it used to be called Tennis Magazine. I think it's now called Tennis.com. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I yeah, think you're right. Tennis but there's also, there's also like another Tennis Magazine that you could s subscribe to, which I think I used to back in the day um, that I don't anymore because once I signed up with the USTA and realized I got a free magazine subscription, I just stopped the other one. But right. yeah, there's so much awesome stuff in there, which is something that isn't going to be helpful now, but we've talked about it before. They have the local college um, tennis schedules in the back when it's tennis season. So like for us in SoCal, it'll show like UCLA and USC's tennis schedule, which is great. And there's a ton of stuff. Like you said, even the ads, like for tennis nerds like us, like you get to see products or even the, I think it's like Stephen Frugal, like tennis destinations or something. Like right, I don't right. have the money for that, but I like to look at the ads to see like, tennis destinations where it's where it's good to um travel for tournaments or for people who just like want to go play like what you do for a living or at least one of the things you do for a living at the langham hotel i'm sure there's people who see that or you know they they travel and they want to get their tennis fixed in while they're traveling um, exactly so there's so many places that people go and, and they want to book their vacations around staying at a place where they can get their tennis in. So there's those ads in the tennis magazine as well. Yes, exactly. And I, I really enjoy it. I, I do give them away as much as I can to someone who I hope will enjoy it. Some of the past issues also have tech reviews as well. So uh, you might read about rackets that were three or four years old. And honestly, those rackets are just as good as the rackets that are releasing today. I, I really feel like these racket manufacturers just have to put out new rackets every year in order to stay afloat. It's not because the rackets are any less quality than they were even five years ago. It's kind of amazing that you know, these rackets are really made with such high quality that there's, they're going to last a lifetime for most of these people. You don't really need to upgrade. You might want to upgrade, 
But the technology is slightly improving. I think at our level, if you're playing 10 to 20 times a year, I don't think you'll notice the difference. You know what I mean? Yes. So it'll give you kind of a catalog of some of the great rackets that you could try out that you might buy used as well. So you might check out tennis reviews that are in some of these magazines. Yeah, there's there's so much good stuff. Well, this was a lot of fun, Valerie. I really enjoyed just talking about tennis with you. It just made me feel so much better considering how scared I was when I first started this podcast thinking about what's happening in the world right now. Tennis is my happy place. It's so true. We got to we got to stay happy, Philip. <laughs> We do. And I really hope this tennis podcast makes other people happy. And I really appreciate you guys listening to us just talking about our passion. And I hope some of these tips bring some happiness to you because we know that tennis is your passion just like it is ours. And we hope you find some really great action items and ideas of what to do in this time of unprecedented chaos We wish all of you guys to stay safe and please stay off the courts as much as possible, but find ways to express your passion for tennis. Yes. Tennis. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, tennis. Yes. And just, just so everyone knows, we are being safe and we do our podcast via Skype now. So (laughs) we're doing our part. Join us in the efforts. Stay home. Yes, and thank you so much for uh, putting up with you know the Skype quality that we sometimes have. We really appreciate that. And also the COVID-19 PSA that I put at the beginning of the podcast. It's so important for us that you're healthy and that you're happy. So we really appreciate you guys listening. We hope that this means something to you guys. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at pk at tennispal.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have some ideas and some of the strategies that you have of what you're doing. We're going to leave a lot of links for some of these ideas and also um, the rebounds recycling in the show notes as well as my blog post for rainy day tennis drills that you can practice. All of that will be available to you. Love to get in a conversation with you if you want to chat virtually at this time. We'd love to hear from you as well. And most of all, we want to thank Tennis Pal for sponsoring this podcast because we could not do it without them. And hopefully virtually we can create uh, content for people that keeps them engaged and connected to tennis while we wait for this to pass. Yes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for talking to me, Philip. It really made me happy to talk to you, Valerie. I love you so much and please stay safe and hope the best for all the stuff that's going on at work and We'll get through this together. (laughs) We will. Until the next time. Hey, may all your backyard serves to to nobody. (laughs) May all your shadow swing serves be Be aces. aces.